Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. It's good to be here with you this morning. It's been a while since I've been on the preaching schedule, but I'm grateful for this time that we get to spend together today. I don't know if you remember about two and a half years ago when we all found ourselves sitting on our couches staring at our walls, wondering what in the world is happening to the world. I remember thinking, why did I think a gray couch against a gray wall was a brilliant idea? And stop thinking about wallpaper. You don't even like wallpaper. Maybe it's too soon to recount these memories. But I also have a very distinct memory within the first week or two of those original lockdowns, sitting there on my couch. I'd been on the phone with different people for the last few days, you know, trying to process everything that's going on. And I was thinking, and I was just, I started praying, I started talking to Jesus, processing what was going on. There was this realization settling over me that everything that I had known about life up until this point, it seemed like it was changing, probably in ways I, I didn't even know, in ways I couldn't even articulate. But I remember praying, Jesus, I want to walk through this global crisis with eyes wide open, with ears wide open, with a heart wide open to what you're up to on earth at this time. Our lives may be reduced to these four walls, but you're not locked down. You haven't ceased to be alive and active on earth and in people's lives right now. You haven't pressed pause just because we have you're going to continue to encounter people, aren't you? You're going to continue to be present in these days, aren't you? I spent a lot of time thinking about John 16, where Jesus says to his followers, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Previously in this chapter, Jesus is preparing his followers that he would be leaving them soon. They would no longer be walking with him every day as they become accustomed to. And understandably, they're concerned with that. They're having a bit of a hard time understanding and processing how they're going to be able to carry on without him. He shared that he will suffer and that they will suffer and even that they will scatter and leave him alone in his greatest hour of need but he was not abandoning them to this trouble. That's what he needed them to hear. In his leaving, he promises them his Holy Spirit, the gift of the presence of God with them, the gift of the presence of God with us as we journey through life on earth, a presence to trust, to comfort, to guide, Jesus is saying, you can still have peace in these hard things, in these troubles I've mentioned, because your peace will be in me, in my Holy Spirit presence. There's also John 14, 27, a few chapters before, where Jesus had initially shared with his followers that he had to physically leave them so the Spirit could come. And he said something similar, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And something began to settle over me and it's been running deeper and deeper over the last couple of years. I don't have to be afraid. 
I, don't, I have nothing to fear. God is here. God is with me. This is obviously some, not some new crazy revelation or truth I've never heard before. I've heard this many times before, as long as I've walked with Jesus, as long as I've read the words of Scripture, I've, I've heard and believed these things. But it became a truth I began to experience and hear in a renewed way. And the hope and faith and courage it has infused over the last few years has been life-altering. Based on the amount of times fear and the subsequent message of fear not or don't be afraid are mentioned in the scriptures, I would say it is a common human experience. To be a human being is to be confronted with some pretty troubling, hard, challenging, sometimes downright awful experiences. And often, in some form or another, fear is attached to our experiences. Is it wrong to feel fear when we're not sure how to pay next month's rent or when we're getting a shocking health diagnosis? Or when our job's on the line or we're starting a new job? Or when we find ourselves in a situation we don't know how to resolve? Or when we know we're led to do something or say something, but we have no control of the outcome? Is it wrong to feel afraid? No, it's not wrong. Our brains are wired to experience fear. It's a primary emotion. There's a reason and purpose for our fear as we respond to the things we encounter that trigger us. It affects us all, sometimes in strange ways, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in huge ways, sometimes in paralyzing ways. None of us are exempt from this emotion. When we hear God's voice through Scripture saying over and over, do not fear, He's not telling us to shut off some part of our brain. The message isn't, fear is dumb, so just stop having this dumb emotion and response. What we hear and see is God's heart regarding our fear and its deep care. He offers a promise, an antidote, an alternative. It's as if he's saying, yes, although fear is very common, it's a natural feeling and response, Just being afraid and being motivated and driven by fear isn't what will serve us best in what we're facing. Some examples of how we hear God speak to our fear in Scripture, I'm going to list them, go through a long list here. Bear with me. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Lamentations 3.57, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Isaiah 35, 4, tell everyone who's discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Matt alluded to Isaiah 43 as he prayed over us this morning. 
we could park on any one of these passages and sit with them and unpack them. But what I'm trying to help us see here today is that in the face and reality of our fears, there's a promise of presence. There's a promise of God's presence with us. There's a promise to never be left, to never be forsaken. There's a promise of God going with you. There's a promise that God will strengthen you. He will help you, a very present, active help in the right here, right now of your life. There's a promise that he will hold you up under the weight of what you're going through. There's a promise of God coming near, of being on his way, of showing up as we cry out and call out. There's a promise of God being a refuge, a place of reprieve, a place to catch your breath, to hide away for a little while, a place that's safe. There's a promise of rescue, of God taking care of it for you. The promise of presence, of God's mighty, caring, perfect love presence, is the antidote to our fears. And God's presence with us in our fear, that's what infuses hope and infuses courage and infuses strength. The promise isn't that the situation or trouble causing us fear will disappear. The promise is that there's not a single thing going on in your life, not a single thing causing you fear that you are facing alone. You are not alone. And when we let these descriptions and promises of God's presence and care for us in our fear begin to settle over us and make their way deep inside our hearts and minds, we begin to understand a little bit more of who God is. And in coming to understand more of who God is, we grow in a greater understanding of who we are as human beings. The entire meaning of the incarnation, Jesus becoming a human being, is that God enters our human condition, embraces it, and comes to where we are to save us. In Eugene Peterson's book, Leap Over a Wall, I love this description. We can't be human without God. That's what Christians believe. We believe that this human life is a great gift, that every part of it is designed by God and therefore means something, that every part of it is blessed by God and therefore to be enjoyed, that every part is accompanied by God and therefore workable. We can't get away from God. He's there whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. We can refuse to participate in God we can act as if God weren't our designer, provider, and covenant presence. But when we refuse, we're less. Our essential humanity is less. Our lives are diminished and impoverished. Every part of our lives is accompanied by God and therefore workable. God's covenant presence with us is how we face our trouble and fear. We are not alone. We do not have to be afraid. We're not facing life and the world at this particular time and place and history with all that it's throwing at us. We're not facing that from a place of abandonment, of having to go at it alone, of having to suck it up and figure it out, of having to just push through and be the strong one having to find the answers by ourselves. 
in and around and under all of the incompleteness, the troubles, the fears that you and I face is God, his presence, and his perfect love with us. There's another really important piece of this that I want us to take a look at. Just as important it is to be reminded of where the presence of God is in our troubles and the power of that presence. Important as it is to learn to trust the character of God through these promises. There's some practices that take it a step further, making us active participants in being aware of God. The character David in the Old Testament has quite the story. And story is one of the most significant ways we have of learning what the world is and what it means to be a human being in it. A large part of scripture is captured in story format. You may have noticed that. So that we can both find ourselves in these stories and also to become aware of where God is in these stories. When it comes to the topic of fear, I find David's story to be insightful. It's not a polished or ideal story. It's not set before us as some kind of moral compass to follow or great font of wisdom on how to be successful. But what it does do is immerse us in a reality that demonstrates the entire range of humanness. We sort of get it all with him. And in the breadth of the experiences of David, we're showing a person coming alive before God, aware of God, responsive to God in what he's going through. David's story begins in 1 Samuel 16. He's an insignificant shepherd, a young boy, the youngest son in his family, who, as it turns out, has a gift for poetry and music and a growing military prowess, a wide range of talents, really. And in secret, the prophet Samuel has come and anointed David as the next king of Israel. Well, there's already a king because God has pinpointed David to be the next king. And 1 Samuel 16, 13 explains that from that day on, the day of his anointing, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Saul is the first king of Israel, and he's reigning during this time, and his position has never been easy. The Philistines are a permanent threat. Unity and support within Israel is precarious. Saul has strayed from being the wise and faithful leader that Israel needed. He's rejected the voice and instruction of God in his life. He's fallen out of relationship with the prophet Samuel, who's been the one to anoint him and been a voice of reason in his life. And as a result, Saul's peace of mind's been fragmented. He's become fearful and anxious and tormented. 1 Samuel 16, 14 explains that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, his original anointing and empowerment as king being removed. And Saul and David's lives intersect when David, the musician, is discovered and brought to the royal court to play music for the king in an attempt to soothe his anxiety and torment. And it works for a while. King Saul grows to really like David and to promote him in his service. David finds himself leading military campaigns for the king. But Saul's jealousy of David begins to develop as a result of David's growing success his defeat of the Philippines, and his growing popularity among the people for his bravery and leadership. Because because Saul could see that the Lord was with David, that David's success was God-given, and Saul began to hate David 
and thought he could put an end to all that David was and represented. That's when Saul began his many attempts to take David's life, and David is forced to escape him. And essentially, for the remainder of the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 18 18 through 31, David is a fugitive, running for his life, hiding in caves, eking out an existence in the wilderness, facing dangerous and desperate situations over and over again, while Saul tries to hunt him down. And parallel to this dark story is that while David's on the run and hiding out in the wilderness, he captured his experiences in poems and prayers that make up a portion of the book of Psalms. And that's where we find the practices of David. In the face of extreme fear for his life, for his next breath, for a place of peace, security, safety. He just spreads it all out before God. He pours it all out in a prayer and in a cry, acknowledging that this is what I'm experiencing. He's just expressing the depth and breadth of his feelings. And many times he's extremely forthright and honest and, God, this is what I'd like you to step in and do for my enemies, just take care of what I'm facing But he always comes back to, but this is who you are, God. This is where you are in what I'm facing. This is what you do. I don't have to be afraid. Here's just a few examples from these particular Psalms that align with David's years on the run of what this practice looked like for him. Psalm 54, when he's hiding, when his hiding spot has been revealed to Saul, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Psalm 56, when David flees to Philistine territory to hide, but they seize him. Be merciful to me, O God. For men hotly pursue me all day long, they press their attack. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Psalm 57, when he'd fled from Saul into a cave. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the day of disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends his love and faithfulness. Or Psalm 142 from the, another cave he's hiding, maybe the same cave, maybe a lot of Psalms came out of that cave. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him, Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David found God in the middle of what was going on in his life right now. He reached out to God often, pouring out his heart to God without holding anything back. We look at the story of David to learn how to cultivate a sense of 
reality for a true life, an honest life, a God-aware and God-responsive life. God was present in everything that David was going through, and David practiced stepping, stopping to acknowledge this and, and allowing it to settle in his spirit that because of the presence of God with him, he did not have to be afraid. From my limited vantage point and observations, because that's what it is, I'm just a human being watching the world right now, it seems like at this specific time and place in history, fear has almost become a virtue. Somehow fear seems to be attached to so much of what's gone on in the last few years to the point that it's become a norm. And the, ref- the fruit or result of fear's response in our lives looks like retreating, hiding, quitting, preserving ourselves, disregarding, labeling, rejecting, holding tightly, trying to control outcomes. Just to name a few of the things I see or observe or experience, even myself. The power of fear is the not looking at it, not naming or acknowledging it, not addressing it, and therefore letting it become a guide to how we behave and show up in the world. Whereas there's this alternative we've been looking at this morning. David's trouble and fear for his life, it didn't end until King Saul's life ended. And even then, of course, David's troubles didn't end. But David's practice of responding to fear with God awareness is something we can practice as well. It's almost this simple yet powerful response to fear. Now, we can engage in where we stop and honestly acknowledge it, call it out, name it, spread it out in the open before Jesus. Jesus, I'm afraid that I won't be able to provide for my family, that I won't be able to find a job, that we won't have enough. But the presence of the Spirit of God is here with me. Your perfect love is taking care of my fear, and I don't have to be afraid. Jesus, I'm afraid for my children's future. I'm afraid I can't protect them enough from the darkness in the world. But the presence of the Spirit of God is here with me. Your perfect love is taking care of my fear, and I don't have to be afraid. Jesus, I'm afraid for my relationship, my marriage. I don't know if it's going to be able to be healed. But the presence of the Spirit of God is here with me. Your perfect love is taking care of my fear, and I don't have to be afraid. Jesus, I'm afraid for my future. I'm afraid of making the wrong decisions that will negatively affect my future. I'm, a, I'm afraid because I can't control outcomes, and I'm afraid of how things that other people do to me will affect me. I'm afraid that my loved one will never recover from addiction. I'm afraid of this life-altering diagnosis. I'm barely touching the surface here. What we all face is complex. You know how to fill in the blanks. But the presence of the Spirit of God is here with me. Your perfect love is taking care of my fear. And I don't have to be afraid. Or find a psalm or one of the scriptures or promises shared earlier and and pull that out when you need to stop and acknowledge what you're afraid of. 
If the promise in the face of fear is the presence of the Spirit of God, the result or fruit of that is an infusion of peace, of strength, of courage, of faith, of hope, of trust. In a few moments, we'll come to the table, a place I often think of where an exchange takes place, a place we come to acknowledge that we need mercy, that we need the fullness of everything that is Jesus' life and death and resurrection from the dead, and that we receive it here at the table afresh and anew today. That's why we do this every week, because there's always an invitation to come and receive. Come with your fears. Receive the exchange of his presence, his fullness, goodness, mercy, and love, everything he has for you. God is here. God is with us. And his perfect love for us takes care of, it drives away our fear. We don't have to be afraid. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.